Good morning again. We are, as I said earlier, we're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, I'd encourage you to grab you one of those black hardback Bibles in front of you. And that pew Bible is going to be page 238 in the Old Testament. We are making our way through the book of Samuel. And uh, we have come to an important moment in the book of Samuel. We've come to an important moment in the life of God's people. We have come to this moment where today, as we read, we're going to see that they demand a king like the other nations have. We're reminded here of the very end of the book of Judges, that very last verse of the book of Judges, Judges 21-25. And it says, And in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And I've told you before, and we will see today, that verse to me is one of the saddest in all of Scripture. Because the people did have a king. God was to be their king. So the people did have a king, but they refused to recognize him. And we see that here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Will you stand with me as we read God's word together? When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, notice who they're speaking to here. They're speaking to Samuel. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. Then they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to his use on his chariots, on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourself can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, 
they said. We must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord told Samuel. Appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you go back to your city. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we open your word today and as we consider your kingship over us, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, to you who are our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there are lots of stories in the Old Testament. Most, much of the Old Testament is stories. Very early on in, in my preaching ministry, I love to preach the Old Testament because I love to tell and talk about the stories. You know, and we can tell these stories, and you know these stories, because you learn these stories in Sunday school and in vacation Bible school and on Wednesday nights and growing up. And we're coming into some of these stories now in Samuel. The story of David and... That's a big one, right? That's a big story that we know. The story of the Exodus is a story that we all know. A lot of the stories that we know are, are from Samuel. The story of Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal on the mountaintop. But see, it's important for us to remember, and, and, and I don't think as a child I understood this, but it's important for us to remember that, that even as we look at all of these stories, even as we look at this story right here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's important for us to remember that all of the stories of Scripture all of the stories of Scripture are a part of one grand story. And that is the story of God redeeming His people through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of Jesus Christ. So that when we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and we read about Israel demanding a king, going to Samuel saying all of these things, these things that we just read, it's important for us to remember that what that's really about, ultimately, is Jesus. And so as we look here, and as we look at this demand for a king, it's important for us to remember who the true king really is. The true king is not Saul who is going to be the first king appointed. We, we, we'll, we're, we're going to come back to Samuel when we get to, when we get to the month of, of September. We're going to take a break in, in, the, in the month of August, and, and when we come back, we're going to pick up in chapter 9, and we're going to learn all about Saul, who's the first anointed king of Israel. And then we're going to learn about David and David's son Solomon, and then we're going to learn about all of the others and it's important for us to remember that none of these, not even David, is the true king of God's people. The true king is Jesus. 
It's also important for us as we, as we dive in here in chapter 8 to remember that the people asking for a worldly king is not in and of itself wrong. If you went back to, to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 20, you, you will see God telling the people that they are going to get a king. They're going to get a worldly king. Now, the problem that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is not the request for the king. The problem is the reasons behind the request. See, what's, what's happened is even though if we, if we look at chapter 7, right where we were last week, and, and we see that the, the, the people had called out to God and they had returned to God. And yet right here in chapter 8, we see that continuing pattern where once again they have come to not trust God. You know, there's a lot of ways to not trust God. There, 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 are, there are multiple ways of rejecting God. I, I think the way that we're the most familiar with right, is those who are non-religious rejecting God. They, they reject God openly, honestly. I don't know if any of you have ever had deep conversation with a, a friend or a family member who's an agnostic or an atheist, and they're very open about their rejection of God. They don't want to be a part of any of it. And I think we're, we're familiar with that. We recognize that. We see that. But there's the second way of rejecting God that isn't as clear to us on occasion, that isn't as obvious to us, and that is when those of us who are quote-unquote religious reject God by not fully trusting in Him. The people of Israel, from all accounts that we have seen in chapter 7 and here in chapter 8, are going through all of the religious motions. They're going to worship. They're praying. They're, in fact, they haven't even elevated a, pro, a, a king themselves, right? They have gone to God's prophet to ask for a king. They're, they're checking all of the boxes. They're going through all of the motions. From the outside, they look like a wonderfully religious and pious people dedicated to God. And yet, we see in their behavior and in their language that they do not trust God. And so they are rejecting Him. Do not, let us never, ever fool ourselves into thinking that because we are here and we are going through all of the motions that we are not rejecting God if we do not trust Him. And this is their demand. They've, they've come not to trust God. We're going to look at that a, a little bit more here in a little bit. And, and so as we move into it, we see the first eight verses, there is this rebellious demand. There's this rebellious demand made by the people of God's prophet, Samuel. What's interesting, in Samuel, we're seeing the same pattern that we saw in Eli. 
right? A, a man of God, a righteous man. There's, there's no question made about that, particularly with regards to Samuel. And yet his sons are not walking in his ways. Just like Eli's sons had become wicked, Samuel's sons have become wicked. Note how it talks about it right there in verse 3. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. Samuel has appointed them to be judges. And so when someone comes to them to judge a situation, guess who's winning? The one who gives them the most money. They're corrupt. They failed. And just as it is not enough for us to show up in church and go through the motions, brothers and sisters, just raising your kids in the church isn't good enough. You can bring your kid to church every Sunday, and unless you teach them your ways, teach them the ways of God, shepherd them, there is no guarantee that they will continue to walk with God just as Eli and Samuel's sons do not. And so because, because of the sin of Samuel's sons, the people come to Samuel and they say, we like you, you're fair, your sons aren't, so appoint us a king so that we can be the same as other nations. Now, note their request, right? Their request isn't, give us a king because having a king is a better system. They don't say, give us a king because if you remember in Deuteronomy, God promised Moses that he would give us a king and we think now it's time for the fulfillment of that promise. No, their, their request, their demand for a king is because it's what everybody else was doing. <clears throat> Every now and then, I look at Audrey, and I am so sorry for her. Because she has two sons that are also my sons. And so I know what is coming. And she doesn't deserve it. I might. She doesn't. Any of you ever, when you were a kid your dad or your mom say something to you, and it's like, yeah, well, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Right? We, we make that argument when we're, when we're kids, right? Well, Jimmy Sue and Billy Bob's dad's doing it. You know, and the response, well, if Billy Sue and Jimmy Bob's dad jumped off a bridge, would you? One time, I said something like that, and my father responded, well, if everybody jumped off the Midday Bridge, big bridge at home, would you do it? And I said, well, if everyone I knew was jumping off, they must know something that I don't. They're smart. I surround myself with good people. So yeah, probably. I survived to adulthood, y'all, and I don't know how. But that's the argument that people are making. They're saying, look, every, look around us. Everybody else has got a king. We want to be like everybody else. remember, God's called his people to be different. 
God's called his people not to be like everybody around them. God's called his people to be centered on him and his law. Not to be like everybody around them. And so Samuel, when he hears this demand, Samuel sees it for what it is and understands that it is, that it is not a good demand. Right there in verse 6, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So what did he do? He prayed to God. Note what they haven't done yet. The people haven't prayed to God. The people haven't gone to God. The people haven't come to Samuel and say, ask God to appoint a king over us. The people have come to Samuel and said, Samuel, you appoint a king over us. Note in their conversation, on the part of the people of Israel, God is absent. And so... God speaks to Samuel, and he says to Samuel, he's like, look, I understand. I understand why you see the demand is wrong. I understand where you're coming from, and I'm not saying, Samuel, that you are wrong. But listen to the people. Listen to them, but, but tell them what's going to happen. Listen to the people. Because, Samuel, see, you're thinking that this is a rejection of you. Just like your sons have rejected your ways, you think the people are rejecting you. But, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're, they're doing what they've always done, which is abandon me to worship other gods. See, they, they, they are rejecting God by by not trusting him. And in not trusting him to to provide for their safety and their security, they're placing their safety and security above God. I have to ask, how many of us do that? Particularly on this issue of safety and security. It is a crazy world out there. Or at least it can feel that way. Sometimes I'm not sure how crazy it actually is and how much it is we think it's crazy because they want us to think it's crazy so that they can keep control over us. But it, it certainly feels like the world is out of control out there, doesn't it? And, and we want to feel safe and we want to feel secure. And so how many of us, for our own safety and our own security and maybe even our own comfort, are placing that ahead of God. One of the most inspiring moments of any Southern Baptist Convention meeting is when they commission the new missionaries. Over 70, I think 79, were commissioned at the meeting in New Orleans. The overwhelming majority of them commissioned behind screens because they were going to closed countries where if their identity was known as a missionary for Jesus Christ, they and the foreign nationals with whom they were interacting would be in danger. And how many of us don't even want to walk down the street to knock on somebody's door to tell them about Jesus? See, they... The people don't trust God enough to say, I'm just going to do your will and let you worry about everything else. 
That's what we're called to do. We're called to say, okay, it's on you, not on me. And so God tells Samuel to listen and to warn the people. This warning is a reminder of what worldly kings do. The costs of having a king. If you go back and you read that portion this afternoon, I want you to take a pencil and every time you come across the word take, I want you to circle it. You're going to find that in in just those few brief verses, take shows up six times. The king takes. But does God take? Or does God give? See, the people want a king that will guarantee their security and their prosperity. And yet they will end up with a king who takes. When we have any king in our life, any sovereign in our life other than God, other than Jesus, that king does not liberate us does not secure us, does not make us prosper. No, that king takes from us. That king tyrannizes us. Whatever we depend on for safety or happiness is what we serve. It's what enslaves us. See, this is... This is the the power of sin. Most of us don't sin because we know that it's going to do something bad for us, right? Most of us sin because we think that whatever it is is going to give us some happiness, even if brief, fleeting for a moment. Galatians 4.8 reminds us that, that when we did not know God, you were enslaved to things that by their nature are not God's. You know, we all have to serve somebody. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with the body of Bob Dylan's work after his conversion to Christianity in the 1970s. But in 1979, Bob Dylan wrote a, a song called Gotta Serve Somebody in which he lays this out. He says, look, we all serve somebody. We all serve something. You gotta. There's no out to it. And so who are you going to serve? He released it on an an album. And in 1980, a year later, another, another lion, another giant of the 1960s music scene a gentleman from Liverpool by the name of John Lennon. You may know John Lennon as the, from the Beatles. John Lennon wrote and recorded, never released, although it was released a few years ago, but wrote and recorded a song entitled Serve Yourself. It's a parody of Bob Dylan's song. You know, this is the response to, to most people in our individualistic culture is when we say, look, you've got to serve somebody, they say, yo, I serve myself. And yet when they serve themselves, what happens? Freedom, the concept of 
freedom becomes the very thing to which they are enslaved. Brothers and sisters, we've got to serve somebody. There's going to be some king in our life. It can be the king that's laid out here in 1 Samuel 8. A king who takes. A a king who brings death. Or it can be a king who brings life. There's only one king who brings life, and that is God. And every other king, everything else that we would subject ourselves to, even something as wonderful sounding as freedom will only serve to bring us death. And so, so what happens? So, so Samuel lays out, right, these are all of the things that are going to happen if you bring a king. And if, and if you read what Samuel says, and then as we continue to read through 1 Samuel, you will see this is what the kings do. They create armies, and they bring in servants, and they, they take taxes, and all of these things. They, they do do these things. Samuel is correct in what kings do. How do the people respond? The people respond, yeah, 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 that's great. That's great. We're right here um, in, in verse 19 and 20. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then, and they say this again, then we will be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. And this is where we really see that they have come to have no trust in God. Because what is it that God does for his people? He judges them. He goes out before them, and he fights their battles. These are all things that God has done for Israel. We, we see it in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, and Judges 4, 14. We've seen it over and over again. We've seen it just in the previous chapter where God has gone out and fought their battles for them. And so Samuel repeats the people's word to God, and God tells them, okay, give them what they want. There are times when God turns us over to the disordered, sinful desires of our own heart. He does not enforce obedience on his creation. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 1. When when he writes that God delivered us over to the desires of our heart. Because what we see is is that we can be delivered over to these desires of our heart, but, but without him, our desires don't lead to freedom and happiness, but lead to ruin, tyranny. See, the, the people are not going to be served by an earthly king. They're, they're not going to end up being happy with it. <laughs> That's what the rest of Samuel is. But what, what God knew, even when the people asked for a king, 
what God knew is that the true king was coming. What God knew that the people didn't, that, that perhaps even in this moment Samuel does not know, is that the true king was coming. This is, this is what we do at Christmas time, right? Is remember the arrival of the true king. A king who will judge us. A king who, who will go out before us. A king who, who does fight our battles for us. But also, a, a king who died for us. We're going to see eventually that David, as kings go, David's a pretty good king. But you know what David never does for his people? He never dies for them. He leads them. And to a certain degree, he leads them very well. But he never dies for them. When David dies, God's people have the same problem God's people have always had. They are fundamentally alienated from God. But when the true king comes, and the true king, Jesus, sits on his throne, he judges us. But he also takes the judgment for us. He goes out in front of us, but he never leaves us behind. And he fights our battles for us. Because the most important battle, the battle against sin and death, we are unable to fight for ourselves. And he fought that battle, won that battle, that war. And so the true king sits on his throne. And the true king will return. and judge, and lead, and save, and love his people. As we read Samuel, we need to understand that, yes, this is a, a story about what happened in the past, but it's also a story about what happens with us. God has provided you a king The only question that matters today, will you accept that king to lead and rule and reign in your life? Or will you take something else and be enslaved by that instead? Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn 290.